Wig, did you just say wig? Wig, okay. Um, hi, kids. Hey. Uh, happy Pride. It's Pride Woo, Month. Pride wow. Month. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Amazing. Gays. Mm. Gay rights. Gay lefts. Um, that might wow. be the, that might be the gay rights, gay left. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> that might be the title description. I don't. I don't, think we literally no. don't at me. Don't at me. Um, I, I mean, we could do it. Whatever. Um, I'm Artier. I'm C Tepper, and this is Wiggle. Oh, did I lose my sound? Yeah, but it's fine. <laughs> as long as you can hear me. <laughs> um, Caitlin, what are we doing today on this special Pride? episode yeah. so we're doing a very special episode it's inspired by two different things of the two people who are sitting here with me though we're not in the same room just <laughs> the same idea of a room um so last i think it was last episode martira wants to go on a ronald reagan rant turn that into a podcast <laughs> i was I mean, like yeah. oh how are we even gonna do that and then i was like well i mean i'm like very interested in drag history and then our special guest today, who has been on the show before, Miss Gina Tonic, has Woo! been. Hi, everyone. Hello. She's been killing it on the TikTok game, which is hilarious because we talked about it a whole year ago as a joke. <laughs> and That's now you. True. I forgot really... about that. Did we yeah, really? as a joke. <laughs> we did. We did. And oh now you have over 20,000 followers on TikTok. I do. Snap, snap, snap. That girl. is so funny. I yeah. forgot that we talked about that. We did and right he, before the like true lockdown. Right before the true lockdown, <laughs> and then Jan, like, December, January of this year, I genuinely forgot what inspired me. But I was like, you know what? I was, you know what? You know what it was? What? Is I was fed up with Facebook, mm. and like Instagram is like on its way out. And I was like, you know oh, what? Yeah. This TikTok thing is here to stay. If I want to sort of keep my position as like a social media drag queen. Like, I need to just embrace TikTok and figure it out yeah. and learn it. Mm -hmm. And so but the other thing, too, was like, you know, I'm someone who is known for having a large social media following. And I was also sick of, like, seeing these queens who are, like, less famous than me and less deserving of me having more followers. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to set the goal. I was like, it was like January 1st. I was like, yeah. by March 1st, I want 10,000 followers. And I got it. So, and now I have 20,000. Yeah. So, you know, you, you set your mind to it, you figure it out, you find what works and you go with that and you do the thing and you just, you do it. And it's funny because it started with, I started writing as like little like jingles, like little like gay mm -hmm. pride jingles, which I'm gonna, I ha I'm gonna re repost some I'm gonna kind of write some more of a bisexual one, actually a pansexual one that I wrote. That'll be coming out when I have time to film it. Yeah. Um, but I started writing like these like pride jingles and like things like that. And that was good. And I was getting a lot of engagement. And then I just posted this joke about a LGBTQ drag figure, which we'll talk about today. Yeah. And it was totally meant as a joke. And then that got like a good engagement. And so then I was like, oh, people like learning things on TikTok. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, I, like, I learned how to make guacamole on TikTok. Like people like learning, <laughs> learning things. So I was like, I know a decent amount about drag history and mm -hmm. LGBTQ history. So let me share what I know. And so I started doing that and then that's been great. So people are into it. People, you know, I think that we've, we've been, we've learned so much about the rest of history. And yeah. I think that 
<clears throat> as far as like even college level education goes, you still kind of learn like a very basic tip of the iceberg level of even just LGBTQ history mm-hmm. and let alone drag history, which yeah. is like so much more beyond RuPaul and Lady Bunny and Coco Peru. Yes. And we, we <laughs> learn like we learn like just this surface amount, but there has there is literally hundreds of years and it's so mm-hmm. cool because it makes thousands of years that's true thousands of years yep I, I focus mostly I mean what mm-hmm. I know the most of is like the last two centuries which is still a lot I mean but you're right it does go back thousands well of years. don't so worry I'm gonna cover it all <laughs> to learn more um but it just reminds me that we we've been here so much longer than people think we have and we're yeah. here and we're not going anywhere and today we're gonna queer th- Queer some things up about LGBTQ. Let me uh, tell you. I love that. <laughs> oh my god! All right, queer the air, girl. Queer the air. So each queer of us air. in this episode, each segment, like before our break, we're going to discuss topics we're interested about queer, gay, drag history that we want more people to know about. And I guess I'll go first. <laughs> Can I? Yeah, go ahead. Real quick. <laughs> I, so I, I've been thinking about this all day. I just want to preface something yeah. before the three of us all speak. Yeah. First of all, with the exception of Caitlin, at least I'm speaking for myself mostly. <laughs> what did I, tell? I, am, I am I am not an expert. Caitlin, I know you've written a whole book on this. <laughs> so I would like to say I am an amateur yeah. drag slash queer historian. I'm not yes. an expert. I have not written a book, unlike you. That's the spammer number one. Disclaimer number two <laughs> is that we have come a very, in 2021, I know it doesn't feel like it to maybe some of our younger listeners, we have come a long way as a society, and especially with the language that we use to describe mm-hmm. gender, sexuality, drag. So I just want to disclaim, especially before I talk later on, okay. that, um, for instance, the term transgender was not coined until, like, 30, 40 years ago. So like there, there may be certain- Not even then, really the, like the late 90s, early 2000s. No, 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 the, it, the, the word existed. Cause they well, called- I'll, I'll get into that. It, it gets a right. little complicated. <laughs> it does. The word existed as far as I know in like the 70s. Um, but the, it didn't really It was a different word though. Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about We can talk about that. Um, <laughs> I love this knowledge All I'm gonna say is that <laughs> I, I think we'll be, especially a lot of like early drag artists, we may be using their assigned gender yes. pronouns, things yes. like that, because that is <laughs> That's all we know. Were, that's all we know, and that's how they were sort of forced to identify back then. Yes. Mm-hmm. If they live today, they may have used other pronouns. We exactly. Don't know. We, we weren't there. I just want there. to preface that before I agree, we get into I agree. This. I'm very I with you on point. Yeah. We're not trying to misgender anyone from history. We love but these we people. Just but we just don't know. We just don't know. And they, they, they weren't given the words to know. That is yeah. And you, they like, weren't given the words to know. Yeah. Society has always kind of forced gender on everyone. So and we're keep that in mind. That. Yeah. Anyways, mind. Caitlin, take it away. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> okay. So my first topic, we'll see if we stick to just this topic because it's a very, very big topic. I wanted to go all the way back, but go all through history and I'm very my in my book I say it's the history of drag according to the internet all my sources are from the internet if they're wrong that's all I got it's from the internet I don't know what to tell you so I wanted to focus on AFABs and drag so like for for most of history women and the role of drag and then towards the end 
um, assigned female at birth people and their role with drag. So I'm gonna just read straight up excerpts from my book. Might be a little long, but we're just gonna go with it. See how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) So drag's theatrical beginnings. Drag and theater have inextricably linked since the beginning. In ancient Greece, theater stemmed from religion. It was women who worshiped the god Dionysus and performed religious rites. He was a god who represented many things, including the grape harvest, ritual madness, fertility, winemaking and wine, theater, and religious ecstasy. The Greeks believed these religious rituals would appease the gods and ensure society's survival. Eventually, these rituals transformed into civic and social events where there was a clear division between the performers and audience. The purpose was no longer religious, but secular. The goal was to to entertain. As theater changed, so did the performers. Women were barred from performing in Greek society and their roles were given exclusively to men who in turn would perform in drag as female characters. The Greeks thought it was too dangerous for women to perform in public. By giving women's roles to men, the Greeks believed this perceived danger could be avoided. So basically going back, women were worshiping Dionysus and the Greeks were like, absolutely not. You can't do that we can do that dressed as you. And that'll be okay with the gods. (laughs) So in Europe during the middle ages, the ban on women's performances continued as a way to enforce female chastity. Theater of that time consisted of pageants within the Catholic church reenacting biblical stories. It wasn't until the 16th century that everything started to change in Western theater. It started in Italy with the rise of Commedia dell'arte, a form of theater known for improvisation of dialogue and the use of stock characters. Vincenza Armani became the first historically recorded professional actress in 1566, though there is evidence that actresses performed as early as the 1540s. The use of actresses continued in France and Spain. In Elizabeth, Elizabethan England, women were still banned from performing on stage for fear of women as being seen as lascivious, lascivious, lavacious, licentious. <laughs> what is it? Licentious. It's L A S C I V I O U S. Okay, not that. Girl, but... it's your book. You wrote it. Yeah, you I wrote can't it. read. I can't. I can't <laughs> look at words. Book. I can't. I can't say. Lascivious is a word that would. Fit. Okay. It would make sense. Sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Despite what Gwyneth Paltrow in the movie Shakespeare in Love may have (laughs) believed, male actors performed all male and female roles in Shakespeare's plays. It wasn't until the English Restoration in uh, in 1660 that King Charles II changed his tradition. He preferred seeing women perform, mainly when they were his mistresses. These actresses frequently cross-dressed while on stage, wearing tight breeches customarily worn by men. This showed the actresses' legs in a way that full skirts never could and drew in curious crowds. These parts were known as breeches rolls. That's kind of important. We'll get to that in a little bit. So while this was all going on in the Western world, in Japan, there was also drag going on. While England was beginning the restoration, only a few decades earlier in 1603 did a new theatrical genre emerge in Japan. It was called Kabuki theater. This dance drama theater was characterized by singing, dancing, and dramatic makeup, often inspired by Japanese folklore. It was a woman named, and excuse me, I don't know Japanese. I'm gonna try my best. (laughs) Izumo no Akuni, who gathered a troupe of female performers to entertain the Japanese masses with stories about ordinary life. Female performers often portrayed both male and female roles. 
The dances were often sensual and many of the performers were also sex workers. This led to a ban in 1629 for female kabuki, also known as Anna Kabuki, for being deemed too erotic. After women were banned, cross-dressing actors took on the female roles. These performers were known as Anagata or Amaya. The, the practice was briefly banned for being too erotic and promoting male prostitution. It was reinstated in the mid 17th century. All male kabuki theater continues to this day along with the tradition of Anagata. So while that's all going on in England, we come back and there's more drag going on. <laughs> in the early 18th century England, a new form of theater partially influenced by Commedia dell'arte called pantomime or panto for short became popular. The original pantomime featured only dancing and gestures because theater exhibiting any form of verbal speech was banned from most theaters until 1843. Once spoken word was added, these types of stories that were featured changed. Pantomime now focused on the traditional children's stories written humorously and as satire. It features elements such as slapstick songs, inside jokes, and cross-dressing. Characters including the principal boy, which was originally a breeches role, where, was, where a woman is dressed as a young boy and has a female romantic partner known as the principal girl, who is also played by a woman. A male actor plays the female character of the dame, a character that is usually older and matronly. Often the role is performed either in a camp style or portrayed as extremely masculine while in drab, drag. The dame tends to have big hair, wear a lot of makeup, and acts in a melodramatic manner. The dame is seen, seen as warm and sympathetic, though they can be the comedic, comedic antagonists as well. Fast forward to the 20th century and we get into modern day drag kings. Drag kings have typically been viewed as cisgender, which is identifying as the same gender they were signed with at birth, women who dress in drag in order to perform as a male character. But in the reality of things, drag kings come from all backgrounds, all across the gender and sexuality spectrum. In the late 1800s to early mid 1900s, there were many popular and celebrated drag queen, drag king, sorry, performers in Britain and in the United States. These performers included Fanny Robina, Millie Hilton, Bessie Bellwood, Hetty King, Ella Shield, and arguably the most famous, Vesta Tilly. Um, they have been prominent in the LGBT plus civil rights movements, including the Stonewall Riots. Drag King Stormy Delivery, <laughs> I, I could never pronounce her name. <laughs> Has been Stormy. Yeah, Stormy has considered. I think it's Delavia. I believe it's. I, I, they say it in her documentary, but it's been a hot minute since I watched it's it. It's <laughs> yeah. She was considered the Rosa Parks of the gay community. She was at Stonewall, where she allegedly threw the first punch. On Stonewall, she said, it was a rebellion, it was an uprising, it was a civil rights disobedience, it was no damn riot. There have been a few documentaries on drag kings including one on Stormy titled Stormy, The Lady of the Jewel Box in 1987 and Venus Boys in 2002 about drag kings in New York City and London in the early 2000s. The Cockats. When it comes to modern AFAB drag representation, the earliest roots I could find was, were from the Cockats who were established in 1969. They were at the height of the hippie counterculture counterculture, sorry. Notably in San Francisco, it was a time defined by free love, utopian idealism, excessive drug use, and communal living. There's a great documentary on them called The Cockettes in 2002. John Waters in that documentary claims the Cockettes had the first bearded drag queens who often put glitter in their beers. They also had AFAB femme queens as well as straight and queer members. The sizable rotating class often performed in various states of undress, 
And but when they were dressed, they wore bohemian vintage costumes. Drag icon Divine was an honorary cast member, and disco singer Sylvester was a troop member from the beginning of his career. They have had an incredible rise and fall, a roller coaster of pop cultural, of pop culture career. And I highly recommend the documentary that details all the crazy fabulousness. When it comes to AFAB femme performance, Hollywood has taken note of the fantasy aspects of AFAB's dressing in femme drag to comedic, comedic effect. Films like the musical comedy Victor Victoria in 1982 and buddy comedy Connie and Carla in 2004 feature female characters that pretend to be men who do female drag. Although there has always been gatekeeping elements in AFAB performers, and if there's always been like a debate if they can legitimately perform femme or mask drag, that element has actually always been there since drag first began with the Greek worship of Dionysus, all the way to till today. And to that, I say, all performance is valid. The patriarchy can keep its old BS ways of thinking. Thank you. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. That was a lot to say, <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> Um, I'm glad you started our little pride discussion focusing on femmes and uh, women and AFAB uh, representation because I feel like in the modern sense of pride, any type of women or femme are like kind of overlooked, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. it's us like usually the focus is cis gay white men. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I'll get into that a little later too. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad we kind of started off with that kind of discussion. And I do like that a lot of um, pride stuff or pride history starts off with um, performance at the heart of it. Um, yeah, because I um, I know there's like a rumor. I don't know if it's a rumor or if it's just like a saying that like drags uh, represent or like stood for like it was an acronym for like dress resembling a girl which not I'm like, that, I, was, yeah, I was like I don't think that's true I mean I kind of like the idea of that but as like it's, a little it's, moment, well there, it's but. it's a debate of what it actually is I have it in my book I was actually looking at it earlier but mm -hmm. it's basically I'll just you know so I can I can chime in here the story yeah. I've been told which I have posted on my TikTok yeah. is that in the I think it's the 1800s the Victorian era yeah um they the, the they would wear these long gowns which mm -hmm. would quote drag across the floor so Hera, then, that is not true it's <laughs> not true either then no. what is um i if, if my um kindle would load i would tell you <laughs> my kindle. Oh, your kindle would load. Because my book is on kindle and that's where all my notes are on wow the we'll fuck have off. to wait and see what the kindle says no. um, um going off that discussion um a lot of things about queer history are kind of mythicized and i think we'll get kind mm -hmm. of into that when we talk discuss stonewall in a little next segment with gina yeah. but um yeah it just um queer history is just like we kind of said in the beginning like it's always been there we're always kind of we're the cockroaches of society no that's not true but... <laughs> yikes, <laughs> yikes. Um, i just well, I listen. Any, I feel like any kind of minority can kind of see themselves as like resilient in that way. Maybe yeah. cockroaches aren't the best describer <laughs> of that, but I'm just saying cockroaches are hard to kill, and we're still here, bitch. Like, mm. <laughs> it's like share. We're still here. We're still here. 
Whoa, that was a terrible share. Uh, All right, so transition. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about it transition. Is it is okay. Pride Month. Let's talk about transition. <laughs> Anyways, well, Caitlin. speaking of non-transitioning, that goes to my next topic. <laughs> oh. So we we know all about RuPaul. A lot of people think RuPaul is the most successful drag queen of all time. Did the most, which is even true. There's lots of queens who were successful pre-RuPaul, like Divine. But I'm not talking about Divine here. I'm talking about a little-known queen today who was very big in, like, the vaudevillian era, Julian Elting. Is it Elting or Eltinge? Because I don't know. I don't know either. I, I said I that name, Elting though. when I did my video. On. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say Julian know. Elting. Okay. Because it's spelled G-E, but I don't know. Right. I, I, I have no idea. The, to I have not seen the, his, any of his work, but I've read a lot about him. Anyway, so Julian Elting, just as pantomime has used performers and drag for family entertainment, so did traveling vaudeville acts across Europe and the United States in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Vaudeville drag performers impressed audiences with their singing, dancing, and acrobatic skill. They often performed in a high camp style. Julian Elting was one of the highest paid and well-known drag queens of that time. Instead of portraying a female caricature, as many performers did during that time, he practiced the art of female illusion. He toured only as Elting. His act included singing, dancing, and costume changes. At the end of the performance, he took off his reveal to he took off his wig to reveal that he was a man. This often surprised audiences who believed he was assigned female at birth. Elting starred on Broadway and national tours and even created his own magazine for his large female fan base that advised women on beauty and fashion. He moved to Hollywood and starred in many silent films, including The Countess Charming in 1917 and Madame Behave in 1925. Even though he was very feminine on stage, he maintained a hyper-masculine demeanor offstage to combat homosexuality rumors. This included getting into bar fights, smoking cigars, fishing and having long engagements with women that he never actually married his sexual <laughs> his sexuality has never been proven but many including the comic Milton Burl believed that he was gay Elting was severely affected by the stock market crash of 1929 in the 1930s vaudeville and female impersonation acts had lost its popularity as audiences flew to see talking pictures movies with sound he gained weight and was no longer able to play slender female roles he was famous for. A crackdown on cross-dressing in public, which was thought as a practical way to deter homosexual behavior, stopped Elting from continuing to perform in costume. In 1941, Elting died from mysterious, mysterious causes. His death certificate mm. states cerebral hemorrhage, but some believe it might have been suicide. And I am just waiting for the Ryan Murphy series about his life, or I would oh love God, to write my be... own series about it. You should, that would be amazing. <laughs> I think I think that is absolutely deserved. That should absolutely happen. Yeah, G Gina actually knows about this topic because you did okay. a video about well, it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I want to chime in on one, one cool yeah. fun fact about Do Julian it. is that the, there was, he was so popular and so mm -hmm. famous at the time. There was a theater named after him, the Elting Theater. Mm -hmm. um, which today is now the AMC in Times Square. Oh yeah. And mm -hmm. If you go, so I hadn't been to the AMC in Times Square since before the pandemic, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But allegedly, um, there is a like a painting of three sort of beautiful women that look like goddesses. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, I don't know where in the building it is, but those three women are Julian Elting and Drake. Ah. Because uh, the, the theater is named for him, so it was sort of a tribute yeah. to him. And it's still there, apparently. I haven't gone to see it myself, so it's possible over the pandemic they've gotten rid of it. I hope um, not. I don't think so. I hope not either, but I want to go see it. I want to. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that movie. was in there. I know. The AMC in Times Square had, had bed bugs, though. So I don't like going there. <laughs> The curse of Julian. Yikes. Um, Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, well, that was, that was a great book discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Download Caitlin's book. uh, Yeah. It's on on Amazon, right? Yeah. Kindle. Kindle. What's the name of your book? The State of Drag, written by Katie Pescar and C. Tepper. What state is it in? Is it gas or is it liquid? We go to 33 California, states, so you'll find Nevada. out. <laughs> Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Arkansas. Um, well, with that, I think we should take a little break. Um, and Great. we can get into Gina and some Stonewall talk. Wow. We'll be right back here. And beyond. And beyond. Um, and then you'll hear from me ranting about things. <laughs> we'll be right back, kids. Bye. Wig, okay. And we're back. We're we just back. transitioned. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> We're gonna avoid ter- commenting on that one. Ah! Any angry tweets? We don't want any angry tweets. I'm under the trans umbrella. I can say it. Good for no, you. No, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm not. So I'm too careful. <laughs> um, I technically I'm not I am under the umbrella, so it's raining on me. T- it is currently <laughs> it is raining, but um, I. I'm on the Ariana Grande. Umbrella. Technically, I am under the trans umbrella, but I that I feels weird claiming that, so I'm not going to. Um, mm. <laughs> Own yourself. Oh. Yeah, it's, oh. it's Pride, Pride Month. month. <laughs> it's Pride Month. Listen, Pride. I I only practice uh, queer uh, or gay rage or gay wrath. Um, Pride Pride's not my shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's I only fair. practice gluttony, so. And sloth. Honestly, and sloth. And sloth. It's gluttony month for me year round. So yeah, that's T- true. Tivana. Yeah, July Tivana. is July is gay wrath. Um, like officially. Well, as an angry cancer, I, I approve this message. <laughs> um Gina, it is your segment yeah. for our lovely discussion segment. about pride. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so speaking of pride, so here's the deal. So I woke up June 1st, uh, 2021. <laughs> Uh-huh. to an onslaught of like tweets and Facebook posts. Oh my I'm God, too Facebook. much. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm assuming that they were there too. It was nonstop. And then, and then also like the Instagram stories that are like, it's like an Instagram story, like you shared an Instagram post that was a screenshot mm-hmm. of a tweet. Mm-hmm. So we're really getting like, you know, first first level like sources here. Like, it's yeah, like right? a screenshot of a tweet, of a screenshot of a post, of a share. And yep. everyone's being like, happy pride. I think the one specific one I'm thinking of is like, happy pride. Um, you have your pride because of a woman. You have your pride because of a black trans woman. Mm-hmm. You have your pride because of a black trans woman 
who went to Home Depot in 1969 and got a brick and threw it at a cop and invented pride. And like, so here's the deal. I am just like, and it's great. Like, I think we should definitely like spread queer history, spread the message, spread the story. But I feel like everyone is getting the story of our history a little bit wrong. Um, Mm-hmm. And so yeah. here's here's the deal. I, I have another <laughs> listen. Twitter, the internet is a vicious place. I have another disclaimer to make. So um, I think that we have a very colorful history as LGBTQIA2S plus people. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to exclude anybody. That's the LMNOP. LMNOP. She's a great drag queen. Miss her. Um, <laughs> but. I, so here's the deal. I think that I'm, I'm, all I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to put down the contributions of certain people who have been instrumental to our rights, but maybe we have also attributed some things to some people that just aren't true. And I'm just, I'm just here to, some, to clear some things up, as I like to say. So, um, so here we go. So uh, we're going to get right into it. So Stonewall, so I feel like, what would you guys say is like the typical story of like the Stonewall riots? Like, what would you tell me? Like, what is the story? The first brick was thrown at Stonewall. Uh, By whom? Who would you say threw it? <laughs> so it's either Marsha P. Johnson or Sylvia okay. Rivera. <laughs> okay, correct. Which, so most people say, okay. <laughs> famously, most people famously say Marsha P. Johnson or Sylvia Rivera. Again, two people so instrumental in like Mm -hmm. the gay rights movement. I guess I should take this moment while I'm talking about the quote gay rights movement to talk about um, how they would have talked about it back then. There's sort of two two terms they would have used. One is the homophile movement and one is the gay liberation front, which came from Stonewall, which we'll get to in a second. Um, Two amazing people. So from what I understand, Neither of them were there when the riot started. Allegedly, Marsha, who lived uptown, I believe in Harlem, or maybe the Bronx, she, it took her time to get down there. So she wasn't down there until like 2 or 3 a.m. And then Sylvia famously says that she didn't throw the first brick, she threw the second brick. Okay. But so here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Where the fuck did they get bricks to throw at these cops? That's what I want to know. Where the f- was there a Home Depot? Was there like a construction site or something? Like, <laughs> did they take enough soul cycle classes to pull a brick out of the wall? <laughs> like, what? Where did they get these bricks from? So, as far as I understand, again, this is all based on my own research. Unlike Caitlin, some of my sources are peer reviewed sources. I <laughs> do have an article from JSTOR um, that I'm using <laughs> today as one of my sources. Um, <laughs> listen, T, uh, listen, I do the work. Um, <laughs> so as far as I understand, there was no brick thrown at Stonewall. Um, I don't know where nope. we, from what I understand, the idea of a brick being thrown at Stonewall came from that 2015 film Stonewall. Um, I, I, I can't confirm that that's exactly where it came from, but I, I think that's hilarious. I well, feel like you used to always say it. I, yeah, I was going to say, right. I've definitely heard it before that. I don't right. know. And it became like a whole meme. But from what I understand, mostly what they were throwing were things they had, um, like bottle caps, bottles, glasses, and coins, like, like, you know, like quarters and nickels and dimes. And the reason why they were throwing coins is because at the time, um, all of, so 
okay, I have to go back again. At the time in the, you know, mid 20th century, it was technically illegal to serve LGBT people at a bar. Um, yeah. the, there was no like official law, but you were sort of banned from serving quote unquote disorderly patrons. And they considered LGBT, at the time they would have just called everyone gay people. So I may yeah. just, it's, just it's less people. so, I may switch to that. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were not allowed to serve gay queer people. So a lot of gay bars were very underground and they were all pretty much owned by the mob. Um, and they that's still like a joke. Like, they, they still are. I don't know, and they still are, <laughs> low key. Um, you won't name the names, but low key, yes. Um, if they're not owned by the actual mob, it feels like it. Um, <laughs> not wrong. So the reason why the police came to Stonewall that night is because they would do these routine raids of these bars but only, well, for a lot of reasons, but mostly because they were run by the mob. And so the police wanted this payout from the mob to make them go away. Yep. And on that particular day, for a variety of reasons, um, the people, the patrons at the Stonewall were sick of it. And they, they were sick of the raids and they were sick of it. So part of why they threw coins at the police was a mockery of this payoff they would get from the mafia. Um, so that is part of it. Uh, speaking of other right, other wrongs I want to write about the Soma riots or rebellion, uprising, whatever you want to call it, um, is there's also this sort of like, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but like the, people say, oh, the cause of the Soma riots was because of Judy Garland's funeral, which happened like the same day or the day before. Have you guys heard that before? Yes. yes. She died that day. She, she died. She that died. She died that, that same week. Well, not the same day, but the same. Oh, I thought it was the week. same day. <laughs> you guys know where that's where that came from as a concept? There's a play about it. No, 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 no. Like so, so the reason why Judy Garland's funeral is so closely tied to Stonewall is because uh, in one of the news reports about Stonewall, um, there was an article written by a right wing journalist who as a means of mocking the patrons of the Stonewall Inn, made fun of the fact that, oh, Judy Garland's funeral caused this riot. So there was actually like, we, some people today consider that like a reason for the Stonewall riots, mm -hmm. but it's actually, that was a, sort of a misnomer. And it was literally Republicans making fun of us. Oh. Um, and our, 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 our display of, of, aggression against the police and now uh, we, we wear friend of Dor dorothy like a badge so <laughs> well and that, that was the thing too is, is back yeah. then friend of dorothy was a was a pejorative term used for homosexuals and that was part of why they and it was a code word anyway. as well yeah are exactly. you a friend of dorothy exactly yeah um, right. my right. favorite thing about friend of dorothy is that at this time military was really keen on getting homosexuals out of the military um and when people were hearing friend of Dorothy, the military thought there was an actual woman named Dorothy yeah. <laughs> that was friends with all these homosexuals. No. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned discharging queer people from the military because this is also kind of a segue into something I'll talk about later. But do you guys know why? Uh, so, like, I feel like the main, like, sort of LGBTQ cities are, like, 
New York, San Francisco, LA. Have you guys ever stopped to think about why? Their ports. Yeah, no, because the military ports, and when they would discharge them, they would discharge them in those cities, which is why San Fran, LA, New York have such huge amounts back then and even today of queer people. I, I, I learned that in researching for this podcast and I, I think that's, that's so cool. So um, that, that'll be a factor well. later in one of my stories, but. I think that's why everyone kind of still makes fun of Fleet Week. Is that like when all the, the seamen literally are yeah, coming right. into town? The <laughs> they come into us. They, they, they come they into enter us. from the rear. Ooh. They enter from the rear. New York, New York, um, yeah, it's a wonderful totally. town. <laughs> so here's sort of the one, I feel like I've like eviscerated so much at this point. <laughs> but so here's the sort of the one last thing is that everyone says Stonewall is the birthplace of the gay rights movement, which I have to say is also incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to ask you guys, the two of you, yeah. do you guys have any idea of like a year or like range of when you think that, what, what was the birthplace of the gay rights movement? Do you have an idea? Of the um, I know, well, there's, there's a couple different like things happening before then, like in the 50s. Yeah. I know like yeah. Jose Zaria was doing his own thing with the drag queen okay. in San Francisco. Okay. Um, there was like okay. the cafeteria riots. I'd argue, yeah, the, yeah, okay. I'd argue the civil rights movement, um, like that was a good inspiration. Yeah, and, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. Okay, well, we're gonna, I'm gonna sort of take, we're gonna kind of go on a journey back in time through the years. <laughs> And um, I think you'll be surprised at how far back we can go and like point to things as like, this is part of like the birthplace. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think I can name at least one thing. There's at least a second thing, which I want to do more research into before I talk about it. So that might be a different episode or find it on my TikTok. Do you know something (laughs) I see? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I can name at least one thing that I think to me is like the birthplace of gay rights movement. Um, but we'll we'll sort of go go back in time to so sort of right before Stonewall. So I guess I should preface the next couple of stories. So I want to go into all of the different types of events, other riots, other uprisings that kind of came before Stonewall. And a lot of this did happen in like the 50s and 60s. And at that time in America, there were sort of two things at play. So like I've already said, it was illegal in sort of a vague notion um, to serve queer people as, you know, bars and clubs. And it was never an official law, but there's just sort of this, you know, it was a, a reason that police would raid these places. That's one thing. The other thing we have kind of going against us is at the time in sort of the 50s, 60s, 70s, there was sort of this spoken but also unspoken law. I don't know how this is also a gray area, but there was sort of this rule that you had to be wearing three articles of clothing that pertain to quote unquote, your gender at all times. Mm-hmm. So what that would mean is even if you were in drag. So again, this is sort of terminology that I, genotonic, do not believe in, but it helps me tell my story. So let's say you were a man in drag dressing as a woman, which obviously I'm someone who believes that anyone can do drag. I'm not saying that only men did drag back then also. Mm-hmm. But if you were a quote, and the other thing too is a lot of these people were trans. So I, I'm saying that because I'm not trying to, you know, 
deny their true their truth. But if you were what they would perceive as a man, and you were in female drag, um, you'd be in you know some cute you know gown, fabulous sixties updo, but you would still have to have men's undergarments underneath because the police caught you and arrested you. You had to be wearing three articles of quote men's clothing. So that's sort of this one law that existed at the time that was another reason why the police would raid these places and why people could get arrested. So um, in, okay, let me grab my notes. Okay, so the sort of first, um, first thing that kind of helped reverse this was the Julius Sippin in 1966. Um, and this happened at Julius Bar in the West Village, which is still there today. You can go visit, go check them out. Um, I believe they were one of the bars that was, you know, needing some help during COVID. So if you want to help out a local business, go check out Julius Bar. In the no village. tea, no shade. It's a better but, bar than Walt. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, go for so historical purposes. Go for historical purposes. Absolutely. <laughs> There is this group called the Mattachine Society, and they were one of New York's earliest pro-gay rights movements. And so, and I will add, they were specifically a group of what we would consider cis white gay men who their goal was really, and the, the hard thing is the goal of a lot of these sort of early LGBT movements was for these people to, um, they, I feel like today, a lot of the pro LGBTQ movement is like about us being ourselves, you know, and, and getting acceptance for being who we are and being, being trans and being non-binary, being inclusive. This was more about um, becoming a part of heteronormative society. So keep that in mind. Um, but they decided they wanted to stage this sort of protest against these bars who wouldn't serve gay men. And so they actually, they actually contacted the press and like went on like this bar crawl of like the East and West villages. And the funny thing is the first, the first place they went to, well, the first place they went to actually had a sign up that was like, uh, if you're gay, go away. Something like that. I forget what exactly it said, but it was something like that. Because <laughs> uh, they had tipped off the press and the press had tipped mm. off the bar. And uh. so they kind of canceled that one. And then they went to the Howard Johnson's, uh, which was like open 24 seven. It was like a diner. Um, and they're like, we're gay, we wanna be served. And the waitress, you know, all flustered, grabs the manager and the manager was like, well, I can't see any, he wants to make some money. He's like, I can't yeah. see any problem. They seem like nice guys, let's serve them. Um, so then they, they keep going to like more and more bars and they actually are getting service. Mainly because I think to these bartenders, it just seems so absurd that people will be like out proud and loud. Like, we're gay, serve yeah. us. So like. They were like, jokes on you. Like, yeah, if you're really gay, we'll give you another drink for free. Um, so then they finally come to the Julius bar. <laughs> and so like, they're kind of frustrated because like they, they want to do like this big display of like this protest, right? And they finally get to Julius bar where they're finally refused service. And it's, I think the reason why they were refused service at Julius is because it was sort of like, I thought it was like a closeted, like bar for closeted gay men, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah. so I think they were under like a special scrutiny from the police to like mm -hmm. not serve gay people. Yeah. But they were finally refused service and they staged this sort of sip in, which is sort of like a sit in, you know, but 
you know, it's gay, so it's got to be a fun pun on it. <laughs> what's what's great about the Julia Sip-In is that it is what reversed the law that refused service to gay people. So this is what allowed us to be able to congregate in public as LGBTQ people, which in turn is part of what caused people to congregate as Stonewall is what part of, you know, caused the Stonewall riots. So there's, so there's Julia Sippen. Um, prior to that, uh, Caitlin, you touched on this, I think, and you're kind of talking about quickly about pre-Stonewall events. There's also the Compton's Cafeteria Riot, mm. which happened in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco, which back then the Tenderloin, which it still kind of is now, it's very gentrified now, but you know, mm. it was back then, yeah. it was this sort of very unsafe, what one might call kind of a seedy neighborhood. Um, some have described it as sort of like a red light district of San Francisco, mm. but it was where a lot of sex workers and transgender people and drag queens and gay men all lived and worked, mainly because they, they couldn't find work or friends anywhere else in the city. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, if cops arrested queer, trans, sex workers, people in other parts of the city, they would actually arrest them and take them to the Tenderloin to kind of keep them all in one spot. Mm -hmm. But the Compton's cafeteria ended up being sort of an epicenter of the Tenderloin. It was where, it was, I think, in close proximity to uh, the nearby Woolworths, which was like a drugstore back then. Yeah. So it was convenient because the drag queens could run out and like grab a pair of lashes for the drugstore. It was also close to a bus station where if they didn't live in the area, they could like go change in the bathroom of the bus station. And it was just a place where, you know, they, they felt comfortable. They could order a meal and kind of spend some time, kind of kill some time at this restaurant. It was like a diner. But what happened was the owners of this diner didn't want these queer people congregating there. So the first thing they tried doing was adding a service charge to the meals in order to kind of deter these people, you know, because they would notice, oh, you didn't charge this clearly straight family a service charge, but you're charging us a service charge because you want us to leave. Um, and so they started this is kind of discriminatory service charge on the meals. And then people were just sort of like, paying it and that wasn't really helping them get rid of these queer people so then they started calling the cops when people would like overstay their welcome and like stay longer than they were eating their meal for whatever reason um and so finally one day they just decided enough is enough and they started fighting and the police came to kick everyone out and i believe possibly the police were there because there were a lot of sex workers and so People were accused of, quote unquote, hustling. Um, that's, you know, a term they would have used at the time. Yeah. Um, and so people were throwing, you know, it was a diner. So people were throwing like packets of sugar and cans and bottles and things like that. And so this is thought to be sort of, this is, I think, a good two or three years before Stonewall. So this is thought to be one of the earlier um, uprisings against the police at the time. But we can actually go back even further than the Compton's Cafeteria Riot. Mm -hmm. um, so one other thing I want to point out is, especially in California at the time, 
it was also illegal for same-sex people to kiss or do other acts, but we'll talk about kissing today um, <laughs> for our, our family-friendly audience. I mean, there were, th- listen, it's, we've this been around long enough. This is explicit rating, so you can talk the, about the, whatever the you things, want. <laughs> the things that we do in, in dark rooms today, they did in dark rooms back then, but That's it true. was also something that was illegal was for same-sex people to even just kiss in public. So, um, at the Black Cat Tavern in That's Silver right. Lake, in LA in I think 1966. So here's the deal, it was a sting operation. It was New Year's Eve um, and the cops wanted to like catch a bunch of queers in the act is basically what, the, what it was. So it was New Year's Eve, so they figure, okay, people are gonna kiss at midnight. So we wanna be there when that happens. So these cops dress in plain clothes, they sneak into the bar um, and they, you know, they pretend to be patrons and they wait until midnight and then of course people start kissing and they just like went so hard they started arresting people they got very more violent than normal Mm. and a lot of queer people the people who were at this bar the people in the community were like you know what enough is enough we're not going to stand up for this so they organized a counter protest um so this the the attack happened on new year's eve 1966 I believe the counter protest was in February of 67. So it took him took him a couple, you know, months to plan it. They didn't have Instagram like we do today and we can just tweet, oh, go into this protest. Like they had to, you know, let everyone know. So it took some time for them to plan it. But something I find really interesting, uh, I feel like we talk about Stonewall, like Stonewall coined the term pride. But did you know the Black Cat Tavern protest was organized by a group? Uh, called P-R-I-D-E, Pride, which hmm. stood for Personal Rights in Defense and Education. So that was the group that was sort of overseeing this whole event. Um, and so, of course, they, they hold this protest in Hollywood. Of course, like the protest we go to today, was met by a large battalion of armed officers, even though it was largely peaceful. Uh, two men were arrested for kissing in public, and they were actually forced to register as sex offenders um, yeah. for that act. Um, I know, it's so gross. Um, so <laughs> sort of one cool thing about the Black Cat Tavern protest is, and I don't have the full story on this, it's something I would love to research more, but it yeah. led to the formation of The Advocate, which is the magazine yeah. that, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, is still around <laughs> today. <laughs> um, you know, not, not the most... Yeah, the advocate. It still exists. The it's advocate. there. It's doing the thing. We're advocating the for thing. the advocate. Uh, <laughs> or not advocate. Yeah. Or not. So even before the Black Cat Tavern protest, we have in 1959 the Cooper's Donuts riot. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was this is a donut shop that was located on Main Street in LA, which at the time was sort of a rundown gay neighborhood. And Similar to the other stories, the police came to raid because it was the Cooper's Donuts was sort of a place where, you know, gay men and transgender people uh, and sex workers all congregated. Uh, But this time, of course, because it's a donut shop, um, they attacked with donuts. I believe (laughs) the story famously goes. So sort of like the equivalent of like the brick at Stonewall for this riot 
mm-hmm. was there was a drag queen who threw a cup of hot coffee in the face of one of the cops. Oh, shit. Good for her. Yes. <laughs> um, which I, I believe that we drink iced coffee today in memory of that drag queen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in her memory, we, we, we drink to her. Um, and but so what ended up happening was they were throwing whatever they had at the police. And this time, unlike Soma, um, the police actually kind of gained some ground against them and they had to return with more people. And this caused them to shut down the whole street for a day. And um, a lot of people consider the Cooper's Donuts riot to be one of the first uprisings against the police. Uh, that was back in 1959. But we can actually go back almost as actually basically a century before that. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the earliest person who I know of who has led any kind of any kind of queer person at, and or drag queen um, who has led any kind of rebellion against the police was William Dorsey Swan, uh, who he was born into slavery in 1858 in Maryland. And uh, he and his family were freed. I say freed in quotes because, you know, America sucks. Uh, they were freed after the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And he, you know, he, his family bought a farm and he worked like odd jobs, like a valet at a hotel. But um, in the 1880s and 90s, he began organizing drag balls in Washington, D.C. And William Dorsey Swan is also purported as the first person to call himself a quote unquote queen of drags, which is a term that we now call drag queen. Um, so we have William Dorsey Swan to thank for the term drag queen, which I think is awesome. <laughs> um, but so, so he would host these drag balls in Washington, DC. And of course, because you know, they're, on, they're super on the DL. So a lot of it was like word of mouth. They would go to like the local YMCA and just sort of like tell each other, whisper to each other about these balls that were happening. Um, and the news, right, so yeah, yeah, okay, great. So, and the newspapers of the time you know, described it as very bewitching. Uh, they wore lots of fascinators and silk and cashmere dresses. So, you know, very glamorous. And these were, a lot of these were, the attendees of these balls were former slaves, former enslaved people, sorry, who, you know, were just trying to live out their, their best fantasy after years of abuse. And they were just trying to like feel themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, I don't have like a ton of sources to back this up. But allegedly, a lot of the terms that we get from like ball culture today, like serving and voguing and all that, and sashaying down the runway, actually comes from this time period, which is crazy. Um, but so in 1887 was the first time that one of Swan's balls was raided. And the Washington critic reported it at the time as. Six colored men dressed in elegant female attire were arraigned in the dock at the police court this morning on a charge of being suspicious persons. They nearly all had on low neck and short sleeve silk dresses, several of them with trains. How scandalous. Um, as well as corsets, bustles, long hose, and slippers, and everything that goes to make a female's dress complete. Um, so that happened in 1887, and they were raided again in 1888. 
eight. But this time, Swan was like, uh-uh, not at my drag ball. And he, he fought back. He, I think several of his people escaped, but he actually fought back. And he is quoted as saying to the police lieutenant in charge, you is no gentleman. And also purportedly in this ensuing brawl, um, Swan's gorgeous dress of cream colored satin was torn to shreds. So he sacrificed his beautiful best gown to fight the police and keep the good honor of his fabulous drag balls. That's a hero. Um, such a hero. But so this is, this is really thought of as being one of the first known instances of resistance against mm-hmm. the police especially in regards to queer people congregating. Um, And then again in 1896, he was arrested and convicted for, quote, keeping a disorderly house, which at the time that was their way of saying he was running a brothel. Um, So after he was released, he I think was charged and sentenced to like 10 months in jail. And after that, um, he, he decides to fight back again. So now he has requested a pardon from President Grover Cleveland. Um, he wants a pardon for hosting his drag balls, which he was denied for. Um, but this was thought of as sort of the first American to take specific legal action to defend the queer community's right to gather without sort of any kind of criminalization or suppression or violence. Um, so it's it's amazing because, you know, we have sort of touted um, Marsha P. Johnson as being sort of the hero of the gay rights movement. But the thing is, it goes back so much further. And it's crazy because people are always like, oh, yes, you owe your gay rights to Black and Brown, trans, drag queens, people like that. And it's true. But I think people saying that they're talking about Marsha and Sylvia, but they don't realize there's actually a long history. There's a transgender people at Commons Cafeteria, the transgender people at Cooper's Donuts, William Dorsey Swan, who we don't know if he was trans, but he definitely was a drag queen. He definitely was black and he was a former slave. So I think we have so many amazing people to thank in addition to Marsha and Sylvia. Um, And one last thing I do want to cover is, is sort of how Stonewall became sort of the one. Um, but from here's sort of the story as I understand it is in Phil- so Kasomal will so Somal gave birth to the first Pride Parade was held in New York City mm. in the commemoration of the Somal riot. But even prior to that, there was sort of the precursor to like the Pride Parade in Philadelphia. There was. Um, a demonstration done every year on July 4th in front of the Liberty Bell. And it, it was a small protest. I think it started with like 50 people. And this was like in 1965. And the last year that it, it was 1969. So it grew, it grew to about 125 people by 1969. But they would sort of do this demonstration at the Liberty Bell to kind of be like, well, we as Americans are promised these freedoms, but we as gay people are not given the same freedoms as you. And um, something else to note about that demonstration is that kind of like I was saying before, a lot of these early LGBTQ um, movements were about homogenizing us with heteronormative society. And so this particular demonstration they would do, 
it was pretty much typically open to only white cis people who sort of looked presentable because the idea was they were trying to get jobs and opportunities for queer people. And so they would dress up, you know, they would look very much, they were dressed very much the way that Gen Z would want um, current pride celebrations to be done, very prim and proper and everyone looking profesh. No, um, so they were pride. trying to get, Right, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> They were trying to get work and they were trying to get noticed and become a part of heteronormative society. So that was held until 1969, which is the year that Stonewall happened. And then after Stonewall, this group in Philly kind of was like, well, obviously our behavior of trying to be prim and proper and kind of play by the books is not working. And so they decided, okay, from here on out, any kind of LGBTQ, queer, gay movement has to be big and out and proud and loud, which I think is part of how come our pride celebrations have grown to be these sort of avarice and sexuality and things like that, which I know a lot of people sort of feel like it should be child back and a little more family friendly. But I think we have to remember that Stonewall was thought of as like the first kind of big outrageous, you know, it was remembered for a reason. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think, you know, in all this pride discourse this year, it's important to note that it was never meant to be this prim, proper, family-friendly thing. Like, pride was always meant Hell to be no. out loud. But truly what happened was, you know, there's all these sort of different riots and rebellions that I've mentioned. The problem is that in a lot of cases, good police records weren't kept because the police really wanted to shove all of this under the rug because all of these movements, Compton's Cafeteria Riot, um, the Black Hat Tavern Riot, these were all movements against the police. So they didn't want any of this on record. So a lot of these records have been destroyed. You know, they have tried to commemorate uh, the donut riot, you know, in LA. They tried to commemorate that as like an official day. And they tried going back, the LA officials tried going back in like the old police records and they couldn't find a record of it because they weren't kept because the police didn't want anyone to know what happened. So I think part of why Stonewall is so widely regarded is because they weren't, they were, they were building a movement and they had mm. steam and they were like, okay, this is the one we are going to remember this. We are going to commemorate this. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, and I think part of why Sylvia and Marsha have such a claim is because they were they were they were you know willing to take the the title whereas in a lot of these other rebellions people they didn't want to give their names because they weren't out of the closet because they didn't want their families back home to know they didn't want it on record so i think that in a lot of cases we don't we just don't have good records of other people and so literally what happened with stonewall was just branded as like this is the one this is the one we choose as the example the one to remember and and so it's purely just good branding is, is how Stonewall has become the one that is remembered. But it is the one that, of course, they were like, okay, because of Stonewall, we're not going to do this parade every year. And that is what created the Gay Liberation Front. And they did, I believe it was a parade in New York, LA, and, and San Francisco. And yeah. that has become the sort of pride parades that we do every year in every city at different yeah. times of the year. Um, <laughs> Anyways, I think I think I've gone on long enough. This is I I truly thought I'd talk for three and a half hours. So I'm proud of oh, myself. Yeah. That's great. An hour. Um, but yeah. I want to add. Comments? I want to add um, another person who um, yeah. I talked about a little bit. Um, Jose Zaria also was involved with um, 
protesting, but like peaceful protesting. They were a drag queen in San Francisco. And they were also fighting back against the police. And they ended up, I believe, running for some sort of government position. But there was, yeah, that's a very like interesting and like very hidden. A lot, like a lot of ones that you mentioned, they're just like very hidden from history. So, right. You just hear these names, but once you do more research about it, you're like, wow, they were really like powerful, effective figures, and yeah. we don't talk about them or even know who they are. No, and that's the crazy part, too. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I, so I have a complicated feelings towards Stonewall or like the Stonewall riots. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't it last a couple nights? Yes. Yes. I, I want to say it lasted six days or something like that. Was like I thought it was like three time. nights or something. It was, like, it was three nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely over a period of time. And I, th- I can't attribute to why it's so well-known. I like that knowledge it kind of escapes me, but I think the, the power of it is that, um, and like passing along that like our quote unquote start of pride is like so mythicized at this point that like, I, I feel like knowing the history is a little damaging to our sense of like community in that regard does that make sense i just um i feel like centering pride around the stonewall riot is like an interesting way of like putting more marginalized communities at the forefront of pride it's because like you said in the beginning like a lot of people attribute um marsha b johnson and silvia rivera with like being the faces of that riot Um, silvia rivera allegedly wasn't even there yeah um and i think like beef um i mean growing up i knew of the stonewall riot but i i think not until like college that even like trans women of color were even like mentioned so i feel like that kind of idea of the riots are is kind of new i don't and like popular consciousness martyr your instincts are completely right so actually um the Stoma, the story of the Stoma riots and sort of the mythology of it all um, was completely whitewashed. Yeah. So they had sort of eliminated any black, brown, trans people from the story for decades up until recently. Um, so that, that is part of, I think, why Marsha and Slavia had been put on the forefront so much is because they're wanting to... Um, uh, rightfully so recognize the queer trans black and brown people who have contributed and so i think that's part of why marcia and sylvia have been so heavily tacked onto the story mm-hmm. even though they purportedly were not there for the entirety of it or yeah. at all yeah was it was it was a means of putting kind of reversing the whitewashing of the story yeah, yeah. but storm storm de la Vie is mm-hmm. who is thought to be the one I would say who sort of started the riot yeah. um, was was a was a black butch lesbian, yeah, you know. Right. So, and I feel like that is a part of the story that's left out so often. Um, and they I, threw a shot glass. Yeah, it was a shot glass at the mirror in a room. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like I feel like Stormy, similar to Marsha and um, Sylvia, is getting pushed more to the forefront as well recently as of recent years like we're trying to definitely i hope so um i think since we've been telling the story wrong for so many years Mm. that if we give credit to more marginalized communities and 
the LGBT community. I don't see any harm in that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I don't either. I don't either. I don't um, either. Because it's, it's but not... at a certain point, it also starts to feel, and I, I don't want to, I feel mm. almost bad comparing it. It starts to make Marsha feel like the Santa Claus of, like, oh, she, yeah, like, I agree. Santa, Santa Claus is to Christmas as Marsha is to Pride. Yeah, I agree. And, it, and it, it sucks. I feel like, in a way, too, like, Black women are so easily, like, memeable. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like people are just seeing these memes of, like, oh, you owe your rights to this Black trans woman named Marsha P. Johnson. And it kind of reminds me of, like, over the summer when everyone was like, um, oh, it's a nice day to arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. And like, it just, Breonna Taylor became like this meme, you know? And yeah. it was just like- They're not a person like, anymore. Yeah, and so, yeah. exactly. And so in a way, all of this constant, pra- all this constant kind of empty praise of Varsha B. Johnson, it, it feels almost dehumanizing to me. Like, it's like, but she was a person. Like, she did she did so much more yeah. than- purportedly throwing the first brick at Stonewall like which didn't even happen which I will say if you are somebody who is interested in LGBTQ history there is a fascinating documentary about Marsha B. Johnson on Netflix it specifically focuses a lot on the mystery behind her death I almost I almost said murder her death her murder she was Um, murdered (laughs) her murder by the police um, I thought but, it was by the mob. Well, same thing, honey. I know, but <laughs> same but slightly different. <laughs> exactly. Um, but definitely go check that out. She she is a truly fascinating and very inspiring person. I just I just want people to be inspired by her for the right reasons. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, um, I think in more recent years, her work with Star, which I think. I, I'm bad with acronyms. I think it's street. Yeah, street transvestites because that's Princess what they called they yeah. back uh-huh. then. Yeah, a- action, action. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know the R. I don't know. Remember the R. We're, we're, we're I don't know this. what the R is. We're, we're, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're so knowledgeable. I have Google. I have Google. I have Google. <laughs> it's it's street transvestite action revolutionaries. Oh, it's Revolution. one R. I thought it was two R's. I also thought no, it was I think, two I think it was one. Yeah, it's, I guess it's one. Uh, I, thought, I, I, I also thought it was two. I also thought it was two. Um, but I think her work with that is getting noticed recent, um, more recently. And because there's other trans advocacy groups that are run by trans people at the moment. I'm um, Right now I'm thinking of like For the Girls and- um, Right. Which is gay and lesbians living in a girls. transgender society. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, I think we're we're seeing Marsha in a different way more nowadays, but yeah, I, I I do agree with your sentiment of her being mythicized to a point that like she's not even human. Um, yeah, I because people like we'll get into this in my next segment because I'm I'm gonna yes, I can't wait. Um, but the commodification of her image, which I know she would fucking hate. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Um, like people were like, I think it was like Urban Outfitters or something were selling a photo of her on a t-shirt and it's just like, right. What are you doing? Like, where's, where's that money going to basically? Yeah, that is disgusting. Especially from Urban. Like, where is that money going to? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, that, this was a lovely middle section and we learned so much about our roots. 
Um, I, think, I think we should take another break and yeah. then Great. release the beast, bitch. <laughs> <Simony>. <laughs> we'll be right back, kids. That's what like IBM and Apple and, mm-hmm. and Coca-Cola all think it should be is A for mm-hmm. Ally. That's correct. And welcome back, kids. <laughs> um, should we tra- Yeah, should we go into it? Let's why not? Fuck it. I mean, we, yeah, we, this will this gonna be a long episode. Yeah. So are we all ready? Buckle in. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I so. I didn't prepare as much as these two. Um, I don't have any notes in front of me, so I'm just going to... Okay, no, to preface (laughs) this, you have studied this and, like, done, like, (laughs) freaking papers on what you're about to talk about, so... Yes, I did. Um, It's different for you. (laughs) I wrote a few papers about the subject. Um, But when when I first originally, like, pitched this idea to Caitlin, I just wanted to rant about Ronald Reagan for an hour. Um... (laughs) But I'm not going to subject anybody to that at the moment. I will get into him. But um, my favorite thing about Pride is that um, A, Ronald Reagan died during Pride in 2005. So oh his, his death is tomorrow. So oh. <laughs> happy know? anniversary. Happy anniversary, bitch. Uh, but um, I wanted, when we, we're first talking about this idea. Um, Caitlin mentioned the Pride series on um, FX. Um, yeah, I think and Hulu. And Hulu. Um, and I, I wanted to watch it, um, and I binged it last night, and it was really good. It was very inspiring. Highly suggest it. But um, when we're talking about the history of Pride, I'm always concerned about where we're going forward because I feel like a lot of, I'll say, cis gay white men think that Pride <laughs> is no longer needed and it's just a giant party because they have the right to marry now. Um, but um, the history of pride and the history of queer people and the future of queer people is still fighting for our rights to survive and the rights for other, um, like our job is not done until everyone has equality in any regard of um, anything. So um, my little segment is going to be focusing on both on the HIV AIDS epidemic and um, the future of what I think pride should be um, as a white, I'm not going to say cis because I'm not a um, person, <laughs> but um, as a white person, as a white person, a uh, white queer <laughs> person. Um, so we're okay. What it, Okay. Both of you guys are children of the 90s. Um, That's one way to say we're old. Continue. Both are are older than me. Um, When when did you first hear the term AIDS or HIV? Genuine genuine question. Uh, That's a really good question. I don't even know. Definitely much later in life. (laughs) I think I might know. Okay. So when I was in high school in my like theater class our teacher just like had like a bunch of like topics so it could be like either like famous playwrights famous genres in theater and famous plays and for whatever reason unbeknownst to me 
so we had to like research our topic and do a presentation on it. So like some people got Shakespeare, some people got like, you know, Camino del Arte, for instance. And I was assigned, my topic was Angels in America. Ah. <laughs> um, I don't know why he picked that for me, but it was what I was assigned. And so I read Angels in America, like my junior year of high school, if you can believe it. Um, it just explains like what kind of person they grew up to become. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I guess, I'm sure that we must have known about AIDS. We must have learned about it in high school mm. prior to that. But um, that was, I think to me stands out as like learning about AIDS and the culture around it for sure was reading and then watching the movie of AIDS America. I remember watching it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but well, for me, like, I just remember because like being anti-gay was always like the cool thing all the straight guys did because like it was the 90s. No one knew no any homo. gay people. No yeah, right. all that. So that. like the idea of like AIDS jokes was always like a big taboo. Like, ooh, they told an AIDS joke, but no one knew what That's AIDS true. was. <laughs> so we would just hear like these AIDS jokes and like stuff about monkeys and no one had any. Or we knew it, right. On. We knew it just as like this bad disease. This really bad thing. It came, from, it came from monkeys. It came from monkeys and it was yeah. a disease. It was a bad thing. It revolved around gay people i i guess we knew people died from it but like that when you're young like that's mm-hmm. like the only exposure so caitlin t- uh touched upon it um i so i wrote a um my graduate thesis my master thesis about the aids epidemic um circling around the history of it um and historicizing the epidemic i'll get into that a little bit but I start off my paper being like, I knew what AIDS was before I knew what gay was. And I knew that AIDS was bad and that if you were gay, you would die from it. And that's like my personal history of it. And, um, and it, my whole paper was like talking about like how, to, how does archiving and how does queer history help either stigmatize or destigmatize HIV and, um, and its relationship with queer people. Um, so I just want to kind of give a little base um, rundown of like general knowledge of HIV AIDS. Um, so actually the first potential recorded um, case of HIV was in the 60s. Um, a black teenager in, um, I, I want to say Kansas, but I don't remember off the top of my head, um, potentially had the first recorded um, case of HIV. Um, and it... Um, I don't, I, again, I don't have my notes, so I don't know his name, but <laughs> um, Google it. I know, um, but this, uh, this year will be the 40th anniversary of the infamous um, New York Times article, Gay Cancer Effects, um, uh, seen in a rare form of cancer found in uh, homosexual men. Um, and as much as AIDS is a part of our history. It is also part of our future, I believe, because as we have just seen with uh, COVID, um, people keep saying that like, um, like this is the first known pandemic that's affected Americans recently. And I'm like, we are still in the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, and that was my whole point of my master's thesis was like to prove that like we've been historicizing it to a point, but like we are past the point where it is largely affecting queer people and it's affecting um, more marginalized. Um, the largest population that has HIV are 
black men in the South at the moment. And that's in the world at large, like the largest population of HIV positive people is in the South. Um, hmm. And, but people still think the ideal poster, the AIDS poster boy is a gay white cis man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't go through all the history of the AIDS epidemic because God, it's sad. Um, <laughs> but um, reading up about history it uh, or reading up, um, I have like, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I collect um, memoirs of people that lived through the height of the AIDS epidemic. Um, and I'm currently reading um, Sarah Silverman, or Sarah Silverman, Sarah. <laughs> I was like, what? What was she doing there? <laughs> um, Sarah Shulman's um, book on the record about um, the organization of ACT UP. Um, and it's the history of ACT UP. And I'm also going to her talk on Wednesday. I'm very excited about it. But um, I think at large, um, the queer community obviously has a weird relationship with HIV um, as it's it ravaged our community in um, the 80s and through the early 90s. But once um, more popular and accessible, treatable drugs were in the um, ecosystem, people believed it ended. Um, and, but people, I feel like people don't give enough credit to organizations like ACT UP and like small grassroots organizations now that we, um, we're seeing them pop up more and more frequently, especially with um, mutual aid funds and trans um, lifeline funds and stuff like that. Um, how influential the AIDS um, protest movement was for getting both healthcare um, fighting the government on just basic needs. Um, it was basically like a second wave of queer liberation. And um, we were still fighting that battle on the medical front. Um, I have some friends in an organization called Prep for All, which is um, focuses on um, getting access to for people to get on PrEP um, to help end the virus are spreading um, more and more. And um, to break their whole mission is to break the patent of um, which Gilead, the owner of Truvada, and I think Discovy, I'm not quite sure about that one, but Truvada, the major drug for PrEP um, to end their basically like monopoly on um, prep drugs and to get a generic out um, because unless you have accessible health care, um, which most people in the country do not, um, prep is thousands of dollars each month. And I am lucky to have it for free, but um, that could easily change. Um, and so I think looking back at our history of organi- organizing around our health, our bodies, um, helped move us to to a degree that we're focusing less on just the gay male experience and focusing on getting drugs and access to all kind of communities. Um, yeah, I'm kind of rambling about prep right now, but it's an important <laughs> subject. <laughs> I mean, it all ties in together. Yeah. 
Um, and I also wanted to focus on, um, I, we've been seeing a lot of discourse around pride this year. I feel like more than usual. I don't, maybe we've just been cooped up inside. I think, I think that's true, <laughs> honestly. Um, Cause you heard me earlier say um, no kink at pride, um, which I sarcastically say that nowadays um, because this whole idea of that um, pride needs to be family friendly is nonsense. Um, yep. It is literally like Christian whistling, like that we need to be appropriate to all ages and be acceptable for families and such like that. Um, but pride has never been about being agreeable or being um, presentable as we kind of looked at in our segment with Gina. Um, it's always been a resistance to existence spaces. Um, and kink's one thing, like usually pride centered around adults because it's catered to people that were shamed their whole life. Uh, <laughs> and I get the concern of children going to pride but there's also like children's events at pride um and they have their own separate events too exactly that's it's, around this time of year exactly um and my biggest thing now is that like i feel like a lot of people are concerned about like people fucking during the parade like on a parade float which i'm like <laughs> i've yet I, to see I've, that one <laughs> i've literally never seen that um and you guys are going to the wrong floats, apparently. I, apparently. Um, I guess you need to go to Folsom. Uh, That's true. Um, but the commodification of pride is, I think, our biggest issue at this moment. Yeah, I agree. We've gone past the point of like acceptance to a degree, where now we're just like going into we're trying to get in the pockets of corporations or they're trying to get into our pockets. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, pride is just a party at this point of uh, cis hetero society saying that we allow you to exist for a month. And- You can get married. You end. can get married. <laughs> the end. Everything, everything's over, you know. Um, nothing so, else is going on. Nothing else is going on. So um, when I was rewatching or when I was watching the Pride series last night, um, I got very emotional at a lot of parts. Not the eighth part, surprisingly. Um, I'm kind of. I mean, I'm kind of numb to that point at this point. It's like you've you've just been <laughs> so exposed to so much research. So. Yeah. Um, it was there were clips from last year's uh, Black Trans um, Lives rally. I, I forget the official term, but it was held in front of the Brooklyn Museum. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if they're doing this one this year, but um, last year with the focus on protests for uh, black lives and also about black trans lives mattering, um, they've always mattered. It's just, um, we have to show society that they are. But um, I participate and I've also invited our friend group, Caitlin, um, to participate in the, um, uh, what is, oh gosh. Queer Liberation March. Yes, yeah, that you. one. The um, and I participated in that in last year, as well. And um, a year after, it was fifty-one years yet last year for Stonewall riots. And what was most surprising is that while we we're having speeches and talks about Black trans lives, um, there were 
uh, police were attacked or attacked us at Washington Square Park. Um, and it was just like, there's also the debate around police at Pride at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's always been uh, like, uh, to me, they've always been uninvited to Pride because they're the cause of why they're, we celebrate. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so, especially after last year, um, I didn't read that garbage New York Times article and I probably never will. Um, of what? There was a opinion piece held oh, by some people at the, I believe is the New York Times, um, where debating if cops should be allowed to pride and the oh. queer community has gone, taken a giant step backwards because they're not allowing cops at pride this year. Um, but I think and like until black trans lives matter and black lives matter to the police, um, queer liberation is never going to be a party like they want it to be. Um, and so I highly encourage the lack of police at any kind of sanctioned pride event. Um, but okay, going back to AIDS. (laughs) Um, I think I don't know how true that is now in this little gay mecca of New York City, but I remember coming here. I had still had a lot of trauma growing up about and thinking like being gay means you're going to die of AIDS. Um, And I think with the invention of, or not the invention, but the popular use of Truvada and um, Discovy, um, we're slowly taking down that um, stigma around HIV, but I don't know if we'll ever go past the poster boy being a white cis man. And um, yeah, I think it's an interesting dichotomy that we live in. Um, Cause it, it, even my, um, all of the friends that work in HIV um, don't fit that mold, but um, they're more likely to talk to me or people are gonna approach me for HIV knowledge than experts at organizations right. that I work with. Um, and yeah, I guess I know I'm not expecting y'all to have the answer, but like, how do, how do you think we should focus pride and focus on not healing the past, but like moving or uh, um, taking the lessons from the AIDS epidemic and moving forward? Well, I think with pride, originally because it was always a march never parade i think we actually have to go back to this time to marsha p johnson and sylvia rivera because they were really pushing for trans rights at the time and that's still such a huge issue that's happening in this country as we see every freaking day it's really Mm -hmm. upsetting and like since that is like the probably the most stigmatized group right now Mm -hmm. including POC people's lives as well, trans and POC rights. I think that has to be the focus all in everything else. I mean, there's always gonna be other issues too, but I think that that's when the March first started, they wanted to be in front and say, these are the issues that are affecting us. And it's the same issues today. And I think we just gotta kind of go back to where it all started. Um, Funny thing about Marsha and Sylvia is that like, 
I mean, now we're taking notice of their efforts and such, but like when they were preaching that, they were getting laughed at by. Yeah, no one was listening. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, had to scream to be heard and they yeah. still weren't heard. And I think that's why they're, um, again, going back to our last segment, why they're so noticed now. It's because they were loud and we needed someone to be loud. Um, so, Gina, did you have something? Yeah, well, I think that Caitlin's point about kind of going back to the roots, but also something you touched on is like having any sort of mission statement. Because mm-hmm. I feel like right now, Pride feels very much like it's, especially the, the march, is just mm-hmm. about like the groups and like the corporations and mm-hmm. things like that. And like they tend to have like a theme, but the theme is always really vague. And there, there isn't really any sort of like message or meaning. Yeah. And it's interesting this year because, you know, nobody was really sure if there was going to be, at least in New York specifically, I can't speak mm-hmm. for other cities, but nobody was really sure like, oh, you know, Heritage Pride, which is like the Pride Parade. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, are they going to do something? And then the Queer Liberation March has been, you know, planning theirs for a couple months now. Mm-hmm. And so it really seemed for a while like it was going to be just the Queer Liberation March this year and no Pride Parade like it was last year. Um, and in some way, and so they kind of have like, I think the pri- <clears throat> prime date and time because they kind of decided before Heritage Pride. And so it actually would be interesting, I think, if the two kind of switch places and like Queer Liberation March kind of became the big one because I think they do kind of march with more of a, purpose and more of a goal which is what it was in the beginning in the beginning it was meant to be you know a means of getting queer people their rights yeah and I do think in a way that it would be helpful if either of the two parties um found some kind of goal and drive and reason to do the demonstration versus just a corporate you know bloody dog as far as I'm aware I don't like again. I don't know how true this is. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. The Queer Liberation March was literally made in opposition of Heritage Pride. Like, oh, um, of course, yeah. a lot of people were upset yeah, with yeah, Heritage Pride, course. as they should right. be. But, <laughs> um, yeah, um, the the march last year was just so special. Um, again, because I mean, and I hate to be like it was the trend to be protesting, but like. <laughs> It was the summer protest, and it was it was for, it was for good reason. Um, and to do it again this year, I think, um, shows that like the not the longevity of protests, but like show that the cause, like the trend, isn't it, it isn't just a trend that like we're still fighting for our rights and our um, for other people's rights. Like I. Two of us have like passing privilege in this group, and um, and I know I'm not comfortable until everybody has, um, and I'm, I'm sure that's true for you as well. But um, until everyone has like can feel safe walking down the street, kind of thing. Um, so I think that's why we fight. Um, I I rewatching or watching the Pride series, maybe like. I mostly cried because I was just like overwhelmed with like how resilient we are 
as queer people like um we literally like i hate the expression we were on the shoulders of giants but like we are like there's so many amazing things that people did and um and we're still we're still fucking doing it which i'm like yeah. is that a, is that a good thing that we're still fucking doing it or does that mean i mean they paved the way right yeah this is what I, they would want right yeah i well i think at, at the end of the day they want equality right? equality but yeah yeah we're still fighting for it as my point I but there, there's still a lot more <laughs> rights that have been fought thanks to them true now yeah that did not exist yeah um and, and there's of course a lot more to go of course and going back to some aids history or hiv history um we're seeing more um especially with this book i'm rereading um we're seeing more people look to HIV organizations um, and how they protest to make more effective um, measures to get rights, basically. Um, like a lot, um, when I worked at the archive Visual AIDS, which um, collects artwork of people with living with HIV who have either passed or are still living. Um, a lot of people go to the archive. I interviewed the director, um, Esther. A lot of people come to the archive because they want to learn about the history of protest. Because um, mm. like the archive mm. isn't just a, um, it isn't just a gay art archive. It is a um, people living, PWA, people with AIDS um, archive. Um, and within that, there's a lot of ACT UP history and, um, and there's people that started the, um, I forget the magazine off the top of my head. Um, besides I know the point. what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's, there's an um, HIV magazine that I don't remember the name of at the top of my moment, but it's like the, the big major one. Um, and so my whole, the whole part of my thesis for um, was to not, historicize the epidemic because it's still happening. And um, there's still echoes of it, even like 40 years out from it, um, which is really weird to say 40 years from the eighties, but- um, I know. <laughs> um, we're still seeing echoes from it. I mean, Republicans still see Re Ronald Reagan as like a darling. Um, I know I didn't, haven't really gone into Reagan, um, Reagan is the reason why conservatism is kind of a thing still, because um, I can go on a long rant about this, but um, the gist of it is that conservatism started as a small party. They called themselves the silent majority, um, which is bullshit. Um, it started back in the 30s, um, and they didn't really get recognition um, until Reagan was elected president. Um, and that's why um, we see a lot of Christian and conservative values in Reagan and the Republican Party kind of built their image based off the conservative party or conservative ideals. Um, but everything kind of trickles down to Reagan being a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> um, he is... I always go back and forth and seeing if Trump or Reagan were, were the deadliest president next to Andrew Jackson, but that's a different story. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
um, because their responses to a large epidemic are very similar. Mm. Um, I feel weird comparing COVID to HIV. Um, I don't think it's a weird comparison to make. I mean, they're both, you know, horribly epidemics. Like it's yeah, and it affects a lot of Americans. Different causes, but you know, a lot of people died regardless. I think yeah. the stigma around HIV being like a gay quote unquote disease, mm-hmm. right? Or for junkies as well. Yeah. Um, True. Just like any reckless behavior, basically. Mm-hmm. But like. I don't know. There, there were stories coming out like people behaving recklessly th- this time too. Not in the same way, but like partying. Oh, you mean stuff. with COVID? Yeah. Um, and getting quote unquote punished by death um, through it. So it, there's definitely like similarities, but I still feel uneasy comparing it the two. Um, well, it de- dealt with like COVID is more like a generalized mm-hmm. disease. And I feel like the HIV AIDS epidemic was really geared toward minority groups, as in the ones who were getting it and dying it at the time. Well, I mean, that's true about COVID too. It's just like everybody can get it, yes, uh, but everybody can get AIDS technically. No, no, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that's how they like perceived it. Um, Because like COVID affects minority groups more than it does white people, Um, and. Yeah, I guess there are a lot of similarities. I don't know. It's just an interesting reaction where COVID got a vaccine within a year, three vaccines within a year, and now HIV is in the works of getting a vaccine because of the technology we got from COVID. But this has been happening for 40 years. So just like one was not seen as dire, apparently. Um, So... Yeah, I, to end off this little ramble, uh, <laughs> I I think queer people are amazing. Um, we have a lot of work to do, but we're still doing the fucking thing. Um, yeah. As much as infight, I think infighting is going to kill us. Um, but, but it was always like that. Yeah, it's always like that. It's um, always been like that. It's always been like that. Um. I think to close out our little show, I think we should like recommend maybe like a piece of media, like a book or a movie or thousand percent, thousand percent. Something mm, that people that. people could maybe look at um, if they're interested in some topics we touched upon. Um, yeah. I mean, number one, I would say definitely just watch the Pride series. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. was pretty well done i liked it um it's good it it talked about a lot of topics i've never heard about which i mean i really love like queer history so it's really like interesting for me to see something i've never heard about i think the whole point though they wanted to do that because i think they knew that a lot of their audience was gonna be people like us who do know a lot already yeah Yeah. and so i think they intentionally were like trying to like really do the sort of lesser known things which i loved as well for the same reasons so i'm here for it well i also just in general because um i guess vice had to do with it i actually really really recommend visiting the vice website they have amazing queer content about stories that are never told anywhere else i i've I've learned a lot of 
from different articles like I knew they did do an article about um uh mother flawless Sabrina that they then used in the yes. documentary yes. um that's a good article there's like really interesting just about like drag around the world like what's happening like um minority groups who are being um you know oppressed who are doing drag around the world that you would never hear about otherwise like the vice website is really really good so I, that's what i recommend just go crazy on vice.com <laughs> um what i was going to say about the pride series um the most surprising episode for me was the 70s because it focused on like lesbians and like i feel like mm-hmm. lesbian culture isn't talked about enough um and like I knew a few of the figures that were mentioned, yeah. but like I, a lot of it, I was like, "This is news to me." As and someone it, who went to Hunter College, which used to be an all women's school, I knew <laughs> Audrey Lord. Mm-hmm. So, but it was really, right. it was really nice to actually see footage mm-hmm. because you hear about these figures, but it's a totally different thing when you can see them and hear them talk. It like yeah. makes them real. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was so cool. And oh, I didn't touch about upon this either but um uh another group that's primarily uh not not attacked but um has a large um population of people living with aids is uh women um not necessarily queer women either um but Mm -hmm. that's often looked upon uh um and lesbian uh as gina mentioned um lesbians helped take care of queer men too to an extent um, reading, uh, I just started this book too, and I do recommend it on the record by Sarah Schulman. Um, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Um, she's, um, I talk about her other work in my thesis. Um, she's responsible for acts up, um, what do you call it? Um, video interviews, um, like the whole oral history of act up, um, which is available. Oh yeah. Um, from the New York Public Library, but also all the transcripts are um, on their website, I believe. Um, And also their movie that she made with another filmmaker um, that she mentioned, I don't remember the name of it, um, is also free on YouTube and um, some other streaming sites. Um, So highly suggest ACT UP um, stuff. Check out Visual Aids. I love the people there. I'm still friends with some of them. I have a lot of other just AIDS books that I have. Um, Honestly, if you DM either me or Martyr, we'll <laughs> give you whatever mm-hmm. information you need. The reading <laughs> list. The yeah. We will give you list. the freaking list of whatever it is. <laughs> what about you, Gina? Okay, well, this was not a story I told today. However, yeah. it is one I talk about on my TikTok, Genotonic NYC. <laughs> but I am obsessed with the film. It's also on Netflix. I'm obsessed with the movie The Queen, which yes. is about Flawless Sabrina and mm-hmm. the pageants, which is also mentioned in the Pride series on Hulu, which you should also watch. Yes. But I have seen I've seen The Queen probably <laughs> it's more like an hour long. I've seen it probably so more than any other movie. I'm obsessed with it. Low it's key, so good. I want them to turn it into a musical and I want to play Flawless Sabrina in that musical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, watch The Queen on Netflix. Very good. It's a Very great, good. it's a great like peek into like the lives of these people. It's so great. Watch it. It's a great companion piece to um, Paris is Burning. Which... It really is. It's sort of the prequel to Paris. It's yeah. literally it's the prequel. 
Um, right, which right. like I I mean I didn't even touch upon that, but I could literally do a whole episode about Paris is burning, and Caitlin right. might have to do that. Uh, <laughs> you guys should <laughs> next Pride. Season. Next Pride. Okay. Okay. Um, no, we we could, but not soon. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Um, I love the Queen. I think it's a great movie. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I would recommend. I'm just looking at my list. Uh. <laughs> The Cockettes, because I've mentioned them before, their story is so cuckoo banana bonkers and so interesting part of queer history that doesn't get talked about. And like how they got really famous overnight and that it all disappeared. But the people who were in the collective, the drag collective were really like, it was everybody. There was a straight guy. There are AFAB femme queens. Like it was everybody. So it's really, really interesting. Like history. Um, There's just so much. I don't even know where to go. I also um, did forget to mention, if you are interested in some of the things that I talk about, um, there also is a documentary about the Compton's Cafeteria Riot. It's called Screaming Queens. Oh, um, yeah. I don't, I don't know where that's available to watch, but I think it's quite like fun on YouTube. It, is it a documentary? It's probably on Canopy. All the gay yeah. movies are oh, on Canopy. Canopy. Oh, I, I forgot Canopy. about that. Yeah, I need to get a Canopy membership. I just learned about that a couple days ago, literally. Canopy's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, Screaming Queens is a documentary about the conference cafeteria, right? So if you want more information on that, check that out as well. Um, um, just before I forget, um, last year during the quarantine, I wrote um, for work.com all the drag films, like documentaries you can watch in quarantine. Oh, you did? Yeah. You did. I have I watched that. all of them, <laughs> by the way. I <laughs> oh have watched God. them all of them. Um, so you could just go down the list. What Like, I included all the trailers and, like, photos of it. Like, see what, what interests you. It's all there. Work.com. Cool. Um, I think it's, like, the 37 movies to watch in quarantine, like, documentaries. Yes, yes. So yes. just go down the list and choose whatever you're interested in. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I love that. Um, my last recommendation. Um, while this book is not technically accurate anymore, because we have learned information since then, um, I think it gives a good concise rundown of both perception and the history of HIV. Um, and that is called um, And the Band Played On. Um, it's a fucking monster of a book. Um, it kind of, it's the reason why we have the idea of patient zero, which is very inaccurate idea. Yeah, it is. Labeling people. But um, you learn about Gaetan, who is supposedly patient zero of HIV. Um, it's not true, but you follow his story. And it's, um, it was a very interesting read. And you, you get a lot of perception of the time from it. And it's, it's, I think it was written by a journalist. So it's very concise of like timeline and stuff, but it still keeps the narrative going. So enjoyable in that sense, still horrifying to read because it's sad. Uh, AIDS is not a fun playground to be in, but <laughs> um, well, thank you all for yes. joining us for our Pride yes. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Gina. Where thank you for having me, you guys. It's been so much fun. Uh, where can the kids find you online? I know you plugged so you can find me. <laughs> yes, you can find me on all social media, including Venmo at Gina Tonic NYC. That's Gina Tonic, like who I am, NYC, like where I am, because I'm always drunk and I always forget those two things. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, thank you again, babe. Um, I was Martyr. I was C. Tepper. And this was. We did it!
Pride, bitch. Go to Prime. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>